chapter 18, verses 1 to 5, and then 19 from verse 9. Let's start. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they did in Egypt, where you used to live, and you must not do as they did in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you to. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws, for to forever you obey them will be salvation. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the beans of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name or so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not take a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke, rebuke your neighbor harshly, for you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. See you. If I haven't met you before, my name is Rowan Kemp. I lead the staff team here with the EU. Glad you could join us this Thursday. What we're going to be doing over the next number of weeks, uh, right up until the end of semester, is continue our book at this book of Leviticus. If you're not really familiar with the Christian Bible, you might not know much about the book of Leviticus. It is, admittedly, a difficult book. Leviticus is an Old Testament book written many, many, many years ago full of all sorts of laws that Christians believe the one true living God gave his Old Testament people, the nation of Israel. It's a challenging book to read. There are all sorts of things in there you read and say, yes, that sounds great. Love your neighbor as yourself. One of the things we just heard read to us from Leviticus 19. But there are other things you think, wow, that's really quite unusual. That's really quite strange. Why is that in the Christian Bible? And what am I meant to do with that? Even if you call yourself a Christian, you might be saying, I really don't know how I'm meant to respond to this particular law that's here in God's Old Testament Word. What am I meant to do about that? So what we're going to try and do over the next six weeks is keep exploring this book of Leviticus and try to understand how can we understand this in a Christian frame? How can we understand this book in the light of God's ultimate revelation in Jesus of Nazareth? How do we make sense of it these particular laws in light of Jesus' death and resurrection and the new covenant, the new agreement that he established with them. Those are the sort of questions we want to work out over the next couple of weeks. In particular, this week and next week, we're going to do a little bit of framework stuff, dealing with one particular section of the book. And in the last four weeks, after the mid-stem break, we're going to look at some of the really challenging particular laws in the book of Leviticus and try to understand them in the light of Jesus Christ. 
So I hope it's going to be helpful. Uh, it certainly will be a bit challenging, I think, for all of us. And that's where we plan for the next few weeks. Let me be right up front with you and tell you what I think the one true living God wants to tell you at 1.15 today. This is what I think the one true living God, he has a message for you. And this is his message for you today. So I'll be particularly happy. This. He wants you to understand that what you do today, the things you actually do with your life today, they really matter to him. He really cares about the things you do today. But secondly, what he wants to do is he wants to encourage you to walk in a particular way in your life if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. He wants you to walk in the holiness that he's made possible through Jesus and the Spirit. Those are the two things I think God wants to tell you today. Now, that's pretty presumptive, isn't it, I guess, to sort of say, ah, let me tell you what the one true living... No, it's because in the Evangelical Union, we believe that the one true living God speaks to humanity through this book, the Christian Scriptures. And the particular passages we're going to look at today, I think that is what God is saying to all of us, me included, in these particular texts. It's not that you're listening to my words particularly. It's not that we're even listening to the person... the words of the person who wrote down these words in the original. We're listening, we believe, to the one true living God speak through this author into his own situation as we read this in the light of Jesus Christ. That's what we think we're doing today. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, and I've said before, the book of Leviticus is really all about one thing. It's all about holiness. Now, when you think of holiness, like me, a particular stereotype probably jumps into your mind. You think of a guy like this one, monk here on the screen, who wears particular clothes. Holy people have a particular diet. Holy people have very particular practices. Holy people probably think about particular things. This is what a holy person sort of looks like and does. That's the stereotype we have in our mind. Now, that stereotype is probably dangerous for a couple of reasons. First of all, Uh, we tend to look down on that particular stereotype of what holiness is like, and that's probably fairly unkind to people who, whether you think they're on the right track or whether you think they're tragically mistaken, I can respect the fact that they're actually trying to live an honourable life. That doesn't mean I agree with everything they do. It doesn't mean that I think necessarily they're even on the right track. But we want to be careful of how stereotypes can actually be used to to besmirch But the second problem that stereotype of what a holy person looks like gets us into is when we come to read the Christian Bible, it's very clear that if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, then God, the one true living God, has said, you are a holy person. You are part of his holy people. Well, you probably say, wow, but I, uh, I'm not like that guy up there. I'm not wearing particular clothes apart from those crazy EU jeans. I'm not wearing, I don't have a particular diet, unless you want to count EU free sausages as a particular holy diet. I, I don't think about particular, like, uh, me, a holy person, when, really? Yes, the Bible is very clear. Because of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, God has wiped away all of our sins if we are in Christ by faith. And so we are now a holy person. 
and we live in the power of his indwelling spirit. We are now a holy people. So what we want to do over the course of these weeks, as we look at the book of Leviticus, is wrestle with this question of what does it mean to be a holy person, a, a holy people, worshipping a holy God? Those are the questions we want that we're hoping Leviticus will help us with. Now I can show you that um, in Leviticus, this question of holiness is really significant. Here's just one particular verse from Leviticus chapter 20, verse 6. You can see it there on the screen. You shall be holy to me, says the Lord, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Now, as I said, we sometimes have these stereotypes of what it means to be holy, but let me tell you what the word holy really just means. The word holy comes from the same root as the verb to separate. That's why this verse is helpful, because it brings those two things together. You can see he says, I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the people. So it's that same root idea of being separated for a purpose. That's what it means to be a holy, to be separated for a particular purpose. That's our purpose. I'll give you an example. Uh, this thing right here, this beautiful, this beautiful piece of machined metal is my holy banner. This is a holy banner. This is a banner that is set apart for a very special purpose. Now, I could, because this banner is so beautiful, as you will clearly agree, as you can see it there in all its beautiful 27-degree angle, sort of a machine there. It's just lovely. In fact, it's so lovely, I think I could actually give this to Mel. I was planning, thinking, well, thinking, of giving it to Mel as a birthday present. You say, look at this beautifully, aesthetically pleasing paperweight that I have purchased for you. That, that could be a paperweight. It's quite heavy. It does well. Like it, in fact, it's quite heavy. I actually thought I could crack nuts with this, such as its weight and ease of use. You know, I could... Oh, wait. Uh, but, you know, you could, this could have many uses, but actually it's my holy banner. It's been set apart for one particular use. The particular use that this banner has been set apart is this is the banner that is used to affix the bike rack to the back of our family van. I have a big bike rack which takes five bikes that I affix to our people mover so that some of our family can go on a bike ride. Because, yes, there's quite a few people in our family. This is my holy spanner. Well, you are the spanner. You are God's holy people if you're a Christian following Jesus. You've been set apart by Him for a special purpose. What's that purpose? to be his, to be his people in this world. You are the holy banner, set apart. That's what holiness means. Now, um, you can see this a little bit later in uh, Leviticus, or actually still in Leviticus chapter 20, when we come to look at the book of Leviticus, he says things like this. Leviticus 20 verse 7, Consecrate yourselves, speaking to his Old Testament people, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy. For I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Now, uh, Paddy, again, I think last week might have made some fun of me uh, when he talked about some of these words because these words for consecrate and sanctify, these all come from the same word, actually, in the original. They all come from the word holy. 
just in English, you have lots of different words to choose from. The translators like to make your reading experience a bit more exciting by using... But actually, it obscures the fact they actually come from the same sort of word. So if I give you, instead of the NIV, if I give you the KGV, the Kent English version, uh, which is not terribly popular, I must admit, it reads like this. Holify yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who holifies you. Now, do you get here? Notice this. Which direction does holification take? Which direction? In which direction does it occur? Well, if you look here, the Lord says, holify yourselves so the people are to make themselves holy. And be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who holifies you. There's two directions going on here, right? It's the Lord God who makes his people holy and they respond by holifying themselves, by seeking to be holy. This is really important. Really important to understand that what does it mean to be God's holy people? There's two directions involved. God is the one who makes us holy. Ultimately, how? by taking away our sins in the Lord Jesus Christ and His death and resurrection. And as a response, we live holy lives. We keep His word. We, em- we embrace His commands and His laws and seek to live as His holy people because He's made us His holy people. That's the two directions. That's really important. Now, this is actually reflected, this dynamic of two directions is reflected, I think, in the very structure of the book of Leviticus. May you remember from earlier in the year, I talked about how the book of Leviticus was structured. I've tried to sort of highlight it here. You can see it has a bit of an in and out structure and there is a, right at the centre is the most important thing. The most important thing in the book of Leviticus is what's there in chapter 16. It's a particular ritual that God gave his people called the Day of Atonement. This was the, the one, the special occasion once a year where God symbolically took away the sins of all of his people through a special ritual he gave them to do. But it wasn't that they were making themselves holy in this ritual. It was God said, this is the the thing I have provided for you to make you holy. In the very center of the book of Leviticus, God makes his people holy. That's really important in the book of Leviticus because if you go right to the end of the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 26, you can see God's whole purpose God's whole desire is that he, the holy God, might come and live symbolically in the middle of his people. That's his desire, to come and live amongst his people. The problem is that his people are not holy. God is holy, but his people, like you and me, are often enmeshed in sin. So how can the holy God live amongst an unholy people? That's the big problem that Leviticus answers. And the key part is, He can do it because he makes them holy. He takes away their sins in chapter 16, in the Day of Atonement. But around that key moment of grace, where he takes away their sins, around that is the response that God's people are to make. You can see it on either side of the Day of Atonement. It's paralleled before and after in different layers. You can see there the green layer, both before in chapters 11 and 15 and afterwards, chapter 17 through chapter 20. There are lots of commands about now how to live as God's holy people. 
at the center is the grace God makes his people holy and then they respond by being obedient to his law, his word. That's the holy people layer. If you step further out, there's commands for the priests and how they are to be holy. Step further out, there are commands about various holy practices, sacrifices, festivals, etc. Now what we're going to do over the next, till the end of the year, is we're going to focus on that green layer. The green layer of the whole, the holy people's commands. We're going to try to understand those ultimately in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to know something about the whole principle of holy practices, go over to Bethlehem.org. You can check out the MP3 um, on the podcast. So we're going to explore this holy people. Now, the thing is this structure, it's probably useful to you if you're trying to read the book of Leviticus, but I tell you, it's also helpful because it embodies that double movement, right? God makes his people holy and then they respond with holiness. It emphasizes that for us. Now, that's really useful to grab hold of because that will stop you, if you call yourself a Christian person, falling into the traps of three of my friends. Three friends who've all made particular mistakes, I think, in understanding the Christian faith. And if you get this double movement of holiness, it'll prevent you from following their unfortunate steps. Uh, I've changed their names, but first of all, do-it-yourself Dora. Do-it-yourself Dora has a bit of a problem because she tragically actually thinks that the, the reason that God gives her a tick, the reason she meets with God's approval, is by her own effort. She falls into that trap of thinking, if I can just try harder, if I can just be a bit more Christian, if I can just do a, be a bit more loving and gracious to people, a bit more kind, if I can just summon up some more love for God in my heart, then, then surely God will accept me. She falls into the tragic mistake of, of thinking that she can get there under her own strength, that she can get God's approval by doing it herself. What she's not understood, she's not understood that even at the very heart of, say, Leviticus, this book full of how God wants his people to live, is this act of grace. That God is the one who makes this happen. So God says to Dora, your sins are wiped out. As far as the east is from the west, so far as I've moved you, your sins are wiped out. You are holy and righteous in my sight because you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and he has died for all of your sins. That's do it yourself, Dora. That's the truth you need to grab hold of. Maybe you resonate with this truth. The other reason we need to get the double movement of holiness is because we also sometimes fall into the trap of perfectionism with Petra. Petra sees all the laws in Leviticus and sees even all of Jesus' commands in the New Testament and she falls into the trap of thinking, unless I can meet all of these commands perfectly, then God's going to be really unhappy with me. She's not understood, actually, that even there in Leviticus, just think about that structure of Leviticus for a moment. What is at the very heart? At the very heart of it is this day of atonement where the Lord basically says, I know you can't live this way. I know you can't live perfectly, so I provide the grace that is necessary to take away all your sins, to account for all your failures. The Lord knows that his people are not able to live perfectly, will not live 100% lives until the return of Jesus. The Lord accounts for that. Does God want you to seek for holiness personally? Yes, of course. Does God expect you to get to 100%? No, he knows you won't. His grace 
is sufficient for all your days. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about how God's grace for us in Christ is he lavishes it upon us. You know what it is to lavish, right? It's where you get a little little dropper and you take it, take it, and you just give one drop. Consider yourself lavish. That's not lavishing. Whoever lavished with an eyedropper? To lavish is to get a big garbage bin full of not garbage bin, full of water and tip it over now and say, Now you're lavished. That's what lavishing is, right? What does Ephesians say? God lavishes his grace upon us. Not he meanly just dispenses maybe enough to get you over. He lavishes his grace upon you in Christ Jesus. It accounts for all of our faults. Praise be to God for that. Don't fall into the trap of perfection. Contentment, don't fall into the trap of perfection. Just take a few extra steps your way. Get hold of the grace of God that's in Christ Jesus. And when you've got hold of that grace that's in Christ Jesus, don't fall into the trap of whatever will. See, whatever will, he gets the grace of God. He's a big-time grace guy. In fact, it's the way that he lives his life is pretty much, I do whatever I like and I ask for forgiveness later. He does whatever he wants. The idea of being holy to God, the idea of being set apart by God to be his person in the world, that is a, really a foreign idea to whatever will. He just does whatever he, whatever he pleases. Every now and then, if he remembers, he might shoot up a sort of a, oh, yeah, sorry for that, guys, prayer, but then he just goes back to doing whatever he wants. He gets the grace of God, but he doesn't get the other part of it either. He doesn't, doesn't get to be restrained to the grace of God to make us holy by seeking to do his holiness. So don't fall into any of those three traps. Perfection is just a trap. Goodness is just a whatever will. So what then, how then are we actually meant to live? What are we actually meant to do? How are we to understand holiness? What I want us to do is um, look at a poem I call the green layer, the whatever people. Uh, whatever people. The holy people. The holy people, right? That holy people layer. In particular, we had a couple of readings that Mel read for us from chapters 18 and 19 of Leviticus. Now, if you've got your Bible there, open up to chapter 19 of Leviticus. Bible with you, maybe look on with the person next to you or look at some of us on your phone. We're jumping in here to look at that second layer, the second holy people layer. And I want to point out to you two things. I want to point out to you that when holiness, God talks about holiness to his people, he says two things. He says, holiness is necessary and holiness is appropriate. So this is a bit of a framework idea here. Holiness is necessary, according to God, for His people, and it's also appropriate, He says. So let me show you where both of these turn up. If you've got the first couple of verses there from chapter 18, uh, that would be really useful, which we had read out for us. Let's uh, have a look there and see if you can identify, as I read through, see if you can identify these two ideas, that holiness is necessary and appropriate. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees 
I am the Lord, your God. Let's stop there for a minute. What's he saying? He's saying, don't live like they do in Egypt, following their gods. Don't live like they do in Canaan, following their gods. I am the Lord, your God, so live the way I please. You see, holiness is appropriate because he is their God. He is the Lord. He is holy. He's made them his holy people. This is the appropriate way to live, following his word, not following the other gods. Holiness is appropriate. But then look at verse 5. Keep my decrees and laws, for the person who obeys them will live by them. You get the tone there that holiness is also necessary. Keep my my laws and my decrees, for the person who obeys them, that's the one who will live following them. What's at stake here is life. And you might write it as L-I-F-E all in capitals. What the Lord is saying is, if you want to enjoy the blessings of my presence among you, remember that's where Leviticus goes when we get to chapter 22. God wants to live amongst his people that they might enjoy all the blessings of his presence, his protection, his provision all those blessings of his presence. But if they want that, if they want life, capital L-I-F-E, then they need to do his holiness. Not because it's a do-it-yourself for a moment. Not because this is the way you will finally attain to that greater level of life. No, no. He's saying, that's of grace. I've made you my holy people. This is the right response. You do my holiness. But it's necessary that you embrace that. Otherwise, you're just not being my holy people that I've made you to be. And it's sort of like you see that in the New Testament too. In the book of James, we learn that faith in Christ without works that flow from it is dead. James says that faith won't save. If it's just faith with no reflection in your life, that won't save you. Faith that saves goes in a life of works. Now, it's not you're saved by your works, no, and it's not you don't have perfect, a perfect life either, no, but genuine faith will always go in a life lived. It's like Paul says in, uh, as well, when Paul says, you've been saved by grace through faith, not by works, you're not saved by your works, but he goes straight on to say, so that you might do the good works that God has prepared beforehand for you to do. Saving faith issues so that's what we're reading here in Leviticus, actually. God has made them holy and actually they need to face that holiness if they want to enjoy the blessings of life. Now, you can trace this through. I think this reoccurs several times as holy people lay out. I'll let you, uh, you can see the other references there. You can look it up later. A bit later, chapter 18, uh, verse 24 to 30. I'm just going to read out the first little bit so you get a flavor of it. And I use the word flavor advisedly. Verse do not defile yourselves in any of these ways, because this is how the nations that I am going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled, so I punished it for its sin, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you must keep my decrees and my laws. The native born, the foreigners, the bride, and the money, you must not do any of these detestable things. For all these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you, and the land became defiled. And if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it has vomited out the nations that were before you. That's a pretty um, strange image. He's saying, if 
because the, the picture there in the Old Testament is that God is going to live amongst His people. In fact, not just in, symbolically in the temple the, or the tabernacle, the tent they erect in the middle of their camp, but symbolically God is going to dwell in the land with them. And He says, if you're not going to live my ways, then the land as my dwelling place, will vomit you out. You will be spewed, kicked out, vomited out. And it's meant to make you sort of recoil. Go, yeah, that's God. Exactly. So don't, so don't live like that. That's what he's trying to say. Do you see holiness is necessary? It's necessary because otherwise the land, the land will vomit you out. And we see that same thing with faith without works. Will not save you. So let me uh, give you an example of this. Uh, I'm not asked to share this uh, in 2009, but um, maybe this is a helpful story to share. Um, you go home today and you check your emails and you discover unexpectedly there is an email there from the producer of MasterChef. So, oh, okay, that's a bit unexpected. And it says, through no fault or uh, act of your own, you have been selected to be a contestant on the next series of MasterChef. In fact, for you, you don't have to even go through the top 50 elimination, which just shows actually that my family watches too much MasterChef, but I know about that. You get to go straight into the final 12, which means that you go straight into the MasterChef pot. Okay, awesome. Well, it might be terrible, a jail sentence. But either way, you, you print off the email and you say, okay, I'm on MasterChef. And you, got, you pack your bag, say goodbye to the folks and take yourself off to the beautiful MasterChef house. And you enter the house, you choose your bedroom and you start to explore the wonders of the house. There's a pool and there's a gym and there's a movie room and it's all, oh, it's fantastic. So the next day rolls around, first day of filming and you decide, you know what, this house is awesome. I'm just not going to go. I'm just going to hang out here. This is great. Everyone else goes off and you just hang out in the house. Have a great day. The second day rolls around, off to filming again, and you go, I had such a great day yesterday, I'm going to stay here. So you stay in the master chair. But that evening you get a little visit from the producer. The producer sits you down and says, you're a contestant on master chair. He goes, yes, I know, I'm here in the house. It's awesome, I'm having a great time. No, no, but you were a recipient of our invitation through no act of your own. And you say, yes, it's pure grace. Undeserved kindness. But because you're a recipient, you now need to actually embrace your responsibility. We made you a master chef participant. Now you need to be a master chef participant. You say, no, hang on, hang on. I've got the email. I'm here in the house. You let me in. I'm part of this. I'm part. Producer says, yes, yes, but if, if you're going to be master chef you need to actually be a master chef and then you suddenly remember the producers remember you say otherwise this house will vomit you out you need to embrace your identity still in Jesus Christ you have been made as his holy people now we need to embrace living a holy life. Now, one of the beautiful things about Leviticus is it gives us this indication of what that should look like. And uh, we don't get more time to look into it today, but from we read Leviticus 19, which played out some of the things. The 
the challenge of those things in Leviticus 19 is which one of those applies to us now as people who are in Christ and who've done stuff if we have time and question time we might reflect on it beforehand so I do want to finish just by saying that there are important things that what we know in my group is holiness necessary we know that in the New Testament the writer of the Hebrews says strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord but that holiness too hard for you to live a holy life and trust God. It's because uh, Jesus' death for you accounted for all your sin. That grace is lavished upon you. But also because he has poured out his love into your life. Through the Holy Spirit, that you would dwell in heaven. That means the the picture of Luke is here. Luke says, he doesn't dwell in himself in heaven. He's in heaven. He's the one true God who's taken up residence says in Romans that the power of the Spirit put to death the misdeeds of the body is the Spirit who gives life and life to the love God has 